We're going to be in the book of Exodus today, so you can feel free to open up your Bibles or your phones and flip or scroll to the book of Exodus. We've been kind of jumping around um, the last couple of weeks. Last week was Mother's Day, so we kind of went backwards to talk about Moses' mom. and um, we'll, we'll do a little bit of catch-up here. Um, and we're going to be hovering around chapters 5 through 6. We'll be talking a little bit about 4. And we're going to cover a lot this morning. So um, I love the story of Moses. I find the more I read about him and study about him, it kind of scares me a little bit how I see a little, a little bit of resemblances. I can relate to him a little bit. And that's not to say I feel like I'm a prophet, a mighty leader of God in no means. But I mean, I, mean, I feel like I relate to him in the same way I, I, I feel like I relate to Peter. Peter, I, I've always thought he's like my favorite character in the Bible because, you know, he has a lot of good intentions and he does a lot and the Lord uses him a lot. But like more often than not, Peter is constantly putting his foot in his mouth and just like saying the wrong thing and, and messing up. And so I always thought, you know, I can relate to Peter. But the more I study the, the life of Moses, the more I can kind of say, yeah, he kind of has some of the same thing going on. You know, Moses was filled with a lot of doubts. He had a lot of excuses. Um, just when he thought he was ready to be used by God, he ran away and... and uh, you know, Moses was, was 40 years old when he, left, when he left Egypt. He thought he was going to be used by God. He was ready to be a leader. And then he fled Egypt and, and was away for 40, 40 more years. So next month, I'm actually going to turn 39. So that means I'm one year out of running away from all my problems and starting over. I guess maybe that's why they call it midlife crisis. Maybe Moses was the first one to have a midlife crisis. I'm just kidding. Um, but Moses, you know, in the end, he, he starts to guess it. And as we're going to see throughout the life of Moses, the more and more, you know, we study him, the more and more we read about him, he, he started to just, he got into a pattern where he would just constantly fall before the Lord. You know, um, I love what uh, Pastor John Corson says about Moses. When we get to heaven, you'll be able to recognize Moses because he'll be the guy with the flat nose because he was constantly on his face before the Lord, you know, falling down before God. And I thought, you know, that's awesome. Um, Moses developed a prayer life, and he had a close relationship with God. He's, he would just go back to God and, and talk with the Lord. And uh, I think that's something I can certainly admire and, and uh, uh, hope to, to, to have that sort of relationship with God. So uh, as we start to get into the text, let's just pray real quick. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for this beautiful weather this morning, God, and the, the opportunity that we can all be outside, God, worshiping you together. Um, and I would just pray that as we, we worship you now through the study of your word, God, that you would speak to our hearts, uh, speak to our minds, and that your text would come alive and that we would be able to be encouraged and be strengthened um, by what we read, God. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So a little bit of a recap. Um, chapter 3, we see Moses finds the burning bush, and he goes up there, and God um, starts to give him what his message is going to be to Pharaoh. 
um, and he tells him, you're going to first ask Pharaoh for three days off to go worship, and we'll talk more about that in a moment. But first he tells Moses to go to the, the elders and the leaders of the Israelites and to tell them that God sent him. And as we pick up chapter four, mid-conversation with Moses and God, he, he starts to, to kind of argue with God a little bit, saying, you know, I, I don't feel confident. I don't think I'm the right guy. Um, he says, what if those, those leaders of Israel, they don't recognize me? They don't recognize the authority you're giving me to go out and lead them? So God says, well, I'll make you a deal. You know, see your staff, you can turn it into a snake. See your, uh, your hand put in your pocket and come out looking like leprosy and put it back. And it gives Moses these abilities to, to show the signs to the elders. So Moses says, okay, okay, but what if I, I, I can't really speak eloquently? Um, and that's, that's the exact reason why I feel like I can relate to Moses, because I don't feel like I can speak eloquently. If you listen, I'm all like, um, um, uh, uh, <clears throat> you know, as I speak, I guess I can be encouraged because Moses felt the same way. God tells him, don't worry about it. I created mouths. I'll help you to speak. Moses still isn't buying it, so he asks God, listen, I, I could come up with a laundry list of excuses, but in the end, I, j I just don't want to go. Can you please just send someone else? And uh, God wasn't really happy with that. Why, why, why was it that Moses wouldn't want to go? Was it was a pride thing? You know, a few uh, months ago, we were in the book of First Peter, and we, we got to chapter 5 that says God opposes the pride, the, the prideful. God hates pride. So maybe, was it a pride thing? Moses is like, I just don't want to be embarrassed. I, I don't want to make a fool out of myself in front of everyone. Was it that? Was he too humble? He was like, oh, I'm not worthy, God. Please send someone else. I can't do it. But God was like, just stop making excuses and go. So at this point in this particular story, we could pause and we could talk about God's will. What is God's will for our lives? What is God's will for your life? And are you ready to listen and obey God's will for your life? Now, we, can, we could spend a whole Sunday just talking about God's will and his sovereign will versus his permissible will. Um, and I don't want to take up the whole Sunday on that, but I think it's a good, good point of study because the Bible is filled with a lot of information about God's sovereign will for us, Okay. Like, we've got the Ten Commandments, and we've got his prescriptive will. You shall love the Lord thy God. You should do things as a Christian, as a believer in God. There's uh, prohibitive things that we should not do. Thou shalt not kill, steal, lie. So that's, that's absolutely part of his sovereign will, right? But I'm talking about his sovereign will for you personally. See, if we're praying and we're seeking the Lord's will in our lives, he's going to reveal to ourselves, you know, something special for each of us, what we should be doing. You might not like his answers, you know, but when you pray, God will answer you. <clears throat> Maybe his answer will be silence, which usually means no. <laughs> Sometimes we don't like that, but God will ultimately give you direction in life. I absolutely believe he will. But are you going to listen to that? 
Romans 12 verse 2 says, um, tells us that to let God transform our lives and change the way we think that we might know God's will for our lives, which is good and pleasing and perfect. You know, as far as my, my own example, I think the biggest example in my own life would be the decision to come to Connecticut. See, I was born and raised out west. Um, and I'd, my family had come back to Connecticut when I was a little kid, and I lived here for a few years, but then we moved back out west. And we, I, li- I grew up in Seattle and Montana and California, so I, I was from the west. And through a crazy amount of, of circumstances, and I say crazy circumstances, but it was really, in hindsight, I could see God directing every inch of my life, laying out a path. By God's perfect timing, I happened to have graduated Bible college in the year 2002 in Southern California, and I decided to stay on when everyone else went home. I decided to stay there and just spend the summer there on the campus, kind of working a little bit and hanging out with some of my friends and just having one last, you know, season together with my friends. And Pastor Joe just happened to come there at that Bible college campus for a conference. And my parents, who knew Pastor Joe from years and years ago, they said, hey, our, our son is there. You should go say hi. So I bumped into Pastor Joe for like five minutes. I hadn't seen him since I was a little kid. And I really only had like a, it was probably only more like a three-minute conversation with him. Oh, how's it going? Yeah, I knew your folks. Oh, not, yeah, good to see you. you know, and I remember him saying something like, oh, maybe we'll see you in Connecticut sometime. And I was like, yeah, right. <laughs> Excuse me. But I was, like I said, I grew up out west. I hadn't been to Connecticut in like 13 years, I think I did the math at one point. I was just 20 years old at the time. So most of my life, I had not been in Connecticut. Um, well, about a week later, Joe emailed me. And I don't know how I got my email address. He must have gotten it from my parents. Um, that was before texting and stuff. Um, and he asked me, why don't you come out and do a year internship at the church? And that was, I think I've shared this story with you guys before. That was one of the few moments in my life where I I absolutely heard the Lord speak to me. Yes. (laughs) I heard God tell me, say yes immediately. So I wrote Pastor Joe back and I said, let me pray about it for a week. And (laughs) I was hoping I could change God's mind, much like Moses. But I couldn't, and so I, I reluctantly... Um, told Joe I would come out. So I did, thinking, okay, I'll dedicate a year of my life to, to serving the Lord. I, I know that's uh, scary, but I'll do it. And I came out here, and obviously the rest is history. I'm here, right? Um, and I could tell you stories and stories, but, but that was a big deal for me. That was like my Moses moment, right? I could have drawn a line in the sand right there and been like, no, God, I, I, I don't want to do this. After I just spent like two years studying the word nonstop. I mean, Bible college, they spoil you. I mean, you get to wake up every morning and worship the Lord together and pray together and study the word all day. It's like the best experience for any Christian, right? And after two years, was I just going to say, ah, oh, no, Lord, I'm just going to go off on my own path now. Um, that was a big decision for me, so I came out. But I believe... I do believe, no doubt in my mind, that I could have chosen to tell God no, and I could have stayed in California, and I probably could have ended up marrying a girl out there. I had this friend who I had this ridiculous crush on, you know, and I believe God probably would have let me end up marrying her, and I could have lived my life 
full and content, filled with In-N-Out burgers anytime I want it, which is a really big deal for me because their food is delicious. But it wouldn't have been the life God wanted for me. It would have been half the life that he promised, that he had waiting for me. And I think of coming up here, and my wife was just up here doing announcements, and she's amazing, and she leads ministry. She's such a strong woman of God. She's given me two beautiful kids um, who I am very certain are going to surpass me in knowledge and wisdom someday. They're just awesome kids, and I can't imagine giving that up. God had something so much better for me planned than what my short-term vision could see. Um, And I'm very thankful for that. But God gives us that choice. He gives us that will. I think if Moses turned down God, he would have been miserable for the rest of his life. He would have just been sulking in the desert, you know, tending the sheep. And maybe God would have blessed him, would have helped him be a good shepherd, you know, but he will have missed out on so much. But that's that will that God gives us, that permissible will, the will that he gives us permission to do, but it's really sinning against God. We can get away with half following him. We can get away with completely ignoring him, but it really is a sin against God to ignore his will for our lives. And obviously that's different from all of us. We all have that, you got to pray to the Lord and pray that he would reveal that will in your life. But God ends up making a compromise with Moses and he ends up making, you know, this, this is a, a example of his permissible will. He, he does compromise with Moses. He ends up, he sends Aaron, his brother, to go with him. So I actually thought that would be something nice to try this morning when I saw Pastor Aaron there. Aaron, would you want to come up here and just speak for me for the rest of the service? And let's see if God will put my words in your mouth. No? Okay. I'm just kidding. I actually need to owe, I owe Aaron a public apology. I, I, I was poking fun at him a couple of months ago saying that, you know, everyone should hug him after the service when they see him, you know, because he doesn't like hugs. So I publicly apologize, Aaron. I love you. But how much better would it have been in this scenario if God, uh, if Moses just allowed God to use him fully? Because Aaron wasn't that strong a leader. Not not this Aaron. This Aaron's awesome. You should check out Chapel Hill service sometime. But this Aaron, the brother Aaron, you know, he was a good, he was a good companion to Moses. He was a good helper, but in the end, he didn't have the the boldness to say no to the Israelites when they asked him to make that golden calf, right? He would um, make compromises of of his own. So it would have been better if God convinced Moses just to boldly go out and be the leader that he was raising him up to be. So God will let us do our own thing if we want, but how much better is it if we follow his sovereign will? And his, it says here, his, God's anger was kindled. Um, that's, that's kind of a scary thought to think. When, when, I, when, when I disobey God, is his anger kindled against me? I mean, we don't read that too often, right? That God was, anger was kindled. It was on fire towards someone, specifically, you know, a prophet. I think it upsets God when we ignore his instructions for our life. But thankfully, his mercies are new every morning. Lamentations 3, 23. 
and he doesn't hold it against us. And maybe the enemy would like you to think that he's holding something against you. So if you feel, if you're here this morning, you feel like maybe you've disobeyed God and you know it, and you think, well, that's it. That's the, that's the end of the relationship. There's going to be a block now, a barrier between you and God. You know, it's kind of like when you're fighting with your spouse, you know, you don't want to talk to him because like, you know, you have this argument, this unspoken argument between the two of you. You just got to talk it out. You got to remove it and get back to your relationship. You know, that's what the enemy would like to think that, that there's a block, a barrier between you and God when that's, that's really nothing. God's promises aren't reliant upon your ability to obey him. And we're going to see more of that in a little bit. So if you're here this morning, you need to give something up to the Lord. I just encourage you to do that now, right even this minute. Just say, God, just take this away. I'm sorry it became a thing between us. Let's just move on and have a beautiful relationship together. And to Moses' credit, he actually wrote this in. Like, he, he was the author. He could have just completely omitted this whole conversation or just leave out the part that he was arguing with God and that God got angry with him, but he wrote it in. I think that's something uh, we should give him, you know, a little bit of credit because here we are critiquing his life, and yet he's being honest and open. Did you know that he wrote the first five books of the Bible and that that makes up 20% of the Bible, of, of the writings in the Bible? It's almost if, if I was the way I was writing this, uh, putting together the collections of the books of the Bible, I might just call the first five books of the Bible one big book and call it the book of Moses. And then like the rest of the, the books could be called Mosesn't. <laughs> I love that delayed laughter. That's like my favorite thing. <clears throat> I'm sorry. Uh, chapter four, uh, verses 18 through 20. Uh, continue on. Moses finally gets permission. Uh, he, he gets in gear. He gets out. He gets permission from his father-in-law. Uh, Jethro to go out to Egypt. And uh, verse 21, Moses is warned by God that Pharaoh's not going to give in that easy, that he's going to put up a bit of a fight. And in fact, in verse 22, it says, God says to tell Moses, Israel is my firstborn son. I commanded you to let my son go so he can worship me. But since you have refused, I will now kill your firstborn son. So God told Moses right off the bat, like right from the, the start, what was going to happen, which means Moses needs to be very careful that he didn't come before, Mo, uh, before Pharaoh as a hypocrite. Because the next verse says God's coming to, uh, sends out someone to kill, uh, comes to kill Moses. Like, that escalates really quickly, right? God sends Moses out, but then immediately comes. He's on the road, and he's like, yeah, it's, you, you need to die now. That, like, what is going on with that? And then Zipporah, Moses' wife, comes up and does the whole circumcision thing on their son and throws the foreskin at Moses' feet and said, you're a bloody husband, aren't you? And I, gets all mad at him. Well, the reason why God was so upset at Moses is because of the previous verse. God is sending Moses out to judge Pharaoh, to say, hey, I'm going to kill your firstborn son because you're not, you're not obeying me. Well, Moses didn't take care of his own children. How is Moses going to go before Pharaoh and tell him 
how to take care of God's firstborn son, you know, the people of Israel, if, not his firstborn, but God says, you know, Israel is their son. How is Moses going to go to Pharaoh and tell him what to do with God's son if Moses doesn't have his own sons figured out? Um, and this is important because of the covenant that was established with Abraham uh, back in Genesis, I think it was chapter 17, where God, that's the same chapter, God changes Abram's name from Abram to Abraham and said the circumcision is going to be a sign of the covenant. Covenant means contract. So he's saying that's the sign of our contract together, this sign of circumcision. So Moses needed to have his own house in order. Going to kill Moses? That seems a little, little tense. But what I will say is God is a little more strict with pastors and leaders than he is with, you know, everyone else. Um, James chapter 3, verse 1 says, Dear brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. So once again, I just want to remind everyone to sign up for the pastors and training course. That's open. <coughs> It's awesome. It's a blessing being able to share the word with you guys. Um, I just get so blessed being able to share with you guys and have conversations with you guys. But, oh, man, I feel, I feel like it's nerve-wracking sometimes making sure I've got my own house in order before I come up here and preach. You know, there's definitely Sundays that I don't feel worthy at all to come up here. I had this pastor back in... Uh, uh, college, and he, he once shared the, he's a pretty well-known pastor. You could probably, you'd recognize his name if I said it, but I won't say it. Um, he was sharing from his heart. He was like, you know, there was, there's days I went off for a Sunday morning, and I had an argument with my wife, and there was one Sunday where my wife was yelling at me as I was going out the door, and she said, go have fun preaching, you man of God, <laughs> you know. <laughs> he had to go to go preach a sermon, you know, knowing that he had this weight of this argument between his wife, you know, and, and you know, he, he fixed it. And his wife is awesome, you know. Um, and I guess that must have been when they were young and whatever. Um, but, oh, man, the pressure is to have your own house in order. And when I'm going through a topic, sometimes I feel like, you know, Joe sends out a schedule of the teachings, you know, and puts us on a calendar of when I'll be up here. And sometimes I swear I'll land on teaching. I'll be like, that's the worst thing. I don't want to teach about that. Did you purposely organize it so you wouldn't have to? I'm just kidding. I, I mean, I don't, sometimes I think that, but I don't think Joe would ever purposely dodge a teaching or purposely throw something nasty on me. But I feel like, oh man, I don't want to preach about that. I struggle with that. And how much pressure it is to make sure that I'm, I'm not being a hypocrite when I share with you. And I'm sure Pastor Joe and Pastor Aaron, we all go through the same thing, right? You know, I think it's one more reason to, you know, talking about what I said earlier about marrying the right person. You know, if, if you're single and you're here and you're, ta you're, you're praying to God about, about marrying the right person, you know, bring it before the Lord. Because if you don't, that person could be a, a conflict, could, could hinder your faith, your Christian walk, your ministry, or whatever God's given to you. Um, you know, Zipporah obviously differed in her 
opinion about how they should raise their kids and how they should interpret God's, uh, God's word to them. And it seems that after this, she probably just took the kids and went home um, because we don't really hear about them until after Moses comes back out of Egypt. So this caused a big divide. She basically just stormed off and we don't hear from her again. So can you marry someone who's not a Christian, who doesn't believe the same things you do? Sure, God will give you that liberty, but he's also told us to not be unequally yoked, you know? Um, so keep that in mind. So Moses and Aaron before, uh, appear before the elders of Israel, and they show them the signs that God gave them. And that's when we get into chapter 5. And I'm doing something I don't normally do. I'm going to actually read from the New Living Translation. So if you've got your Bible app open, you might want to switch over to that translation. It might be easier to read with me. I, I like to study out of the New King James Version. Um, and it's really the better Bible to study out of. But the New Living Translation is really, it's just nicer to read from. Like it's, it's just easier to read in like story form. And I feel like most of this text is like telling a story. So that's why I'm going to read out of that. Uh, translation this morning. But it says verse 1 of chapter 5, after, the, after this presentation to Israel's leaders, Moses and Aaron went and spoke to Pharaoh, and they told him, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, let my people go so that they may hold a festival in my honor in the wilderness. Is that so, retorted Pharaoh? And who is the Lord? Why should I listen to him and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Now, in fairness, this is a legitimate question that Pharaoh is asking. Who's the Lord? Why should I listen to him? But I don't think he ha ever had the intent to actually find out. In fact, I kind of think Pharaoh must have known the God of the Hebrews, right? I mean, there was, uh, I, I don't even know what the number of slaves was, of Israel slaves there. And, you know, a good leader would be interested in knowing what the people believe and knowing facts about those people. So I think he knew, he went to the best, you know, the same universities that Moses went to and they were very educated men. So I believe he, he knew who the God of the Hebrews was, but he didn't want to know him. He didn't want to follow him. He didn't want to obey him. Um, the pharaohs were considered descendants of the sun god Ra themselves. So the pharaohs were considered a god. So for Pharaoh to say, yeah, I'm going to acknowledge this god would mean that he wasn't really a god himself, and that's not uh, in his best interest. He's like, I know Ra, I know Osiris, I know all these other gods, but I don't know your god. We're not buddies. But I don't think he had any intention of getting to know God. Because in verse 2, he says, I don't know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. You see, revelation of God and God's will is directly linked to obedience. You know, first of all, you have to obey God in order to be saved. In order to, to, to accept Jesus into your heart, you have to admit that you're a sinner and accept that forgiveness. You have to obey God like that. But, I mean, in every other aspect of our work with, walk with God, you need to obey him if you want to know more about him and have a closer relationship with him. Um, if, 
if Pharaoh had any intention of getting to know God, he definitely would have started to obey him and he would have understand, especially the more he got to know him, how important it was of obeying him. Um, and I would ask you, if you, you want to get to know God more, is there something in your life that you need to obey him with that you've been putting off or struggling with or pushing back? Um, you know, ref- referring back to my, my story I told a few minutes ago about coming to Connecticut, I, I could have said no. Um, I, didn't, I didn't know. When I came out here, I had no idea what I would do. I had no idea where I would live who I would know, who I would talk to. I just had to obey God in coming out here. That was the first step. And I think in our lives, God is so good to us that he doesn't give us more information than we need. If God told me all the things that he had planned for me here in Connecticut, I probably wouldn't have come. (laughs) Like a list of things I would have to go through and deal with. But God is so good that he's not going to weigh, weigh you down with that, that weight. Um, Matthew chapter 11, verse 30 says, Jesus says, For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. He's not going to weigh you down with the details. You just need to be faithful in stepping out um, in faith and take the first step. And then he'll reveal to you the next one, and then to the next one, and the next one. But why should God give you all the details of what's going to happen and all his promises and give you the full list of things he wants in your life if you're not willing to obey the first one? If you're not going to take the first step, there's no reason to give you the details, the directions for the rest of the list. We have to take the first step in faith. So again, I might ask you if there's anyone here this morning who needs to take that first step in faith. And say, God, I, I, I understand what you want me to do. And I'm willing to step out not knowing the details, not knowing the rest of the path. I'm so glad that's what I did when I came here to Connecticut. I've had ups and downs, surely, but I'm so thankful that, the, that I made that yes and I, I came out here. Um, had I known how difficult it might be, I might not have come God spared me those details. If I knew how difficult it was going to be to be a Seahawks fan in New England, I would not have come out here. (coughs) Three days. Why did God tell Moses to tell Pharaoh requesting three days, just three days? Didn't God want to free the nation of Israel from Egypt completely? Why only ask for three days? Well, in some, some ways, um, this is kind of a test. Verse 3 says, But Aaron and Moses persisted. The God of the Hebrews has met with us. They declared, So let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness so we can offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. If we don't, he'll kill us with a plague or with a sword. So they bring this request before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says, Nope, not having it. He says, Moses and Aaron, why are you distracting the people from their tasks? Get back to work. There's so many people in the land. Why are you stopping them from their work? 
Pharaoh's saying, I'm not going to let the people go. Are you kidding me? Even three days is too much. In some ways, this was like a test before Pharaoh. Are you willing to let your people go and worship God for three days? Are you willing to obey God and let them worship God? And I can't help but read this passage and speculate. And this is just my own speculation. This is just Keith's thoughts as I'm reading this passage. But I kind of think, I wonder if God would have blessed Pharaoh if he had said yes. You know, kind of like in the same way that God blessed Pharaoh when he listened to Joseph, you know? What if Pharaoh said, you know what? I understand. You guys go worship the Lord and you guys come back to me and let's work this out. If God would have just immensely blessed Pharaoh. Now, that's just speculation and, you know, God knew Pharaoh's heart anyways and was going to have it out for him anyways. But again, going back to that will thing, the sovereign will, the permissible will. What if Pharaoh had opened up to God's sovereign will? We could write a book with what ifs. Um, But instead, verse 6, that same day Pharaoh sent this order to the Egyptian slave drivers and the Israelite foremen. Do not supply any more straw for making bricks. Make the people get it themselves, but still require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They're lazy. That's why they're crying out, let us go offer sacrifices to our God. Load them down with more work. Make them sweat. That'll teach them to listen to lies. Your translation might say vain words. That'll teach them to listen to vain words, to lies. And isn't that exactly what the devil would say? Pharaoh in this situation is definitely a type of Satan. Um, He wants you to question, you really believe the promises of God? Aren't those just vain words? Aren't those just lies? Get back to work. You don't have time to go worship the Lord. You don't have time for devotions or prayer. You don't have time to go to church or midweek Bible study or book club or whatever. That stuff isn't important. But how important it is to get time away, to spend time focused just on God, to pray together, to fellowship together, to study together. You know, the, the disciples asked Jesus, why couldn't we cast out this demon from this, this guy? And, and Jesus said, well, Jesus had already given those disciples the power to cast out demons. He's like, but he was like, this one, this one you need to pray and fast. And the disciples were like, well, how did we know we need to pray and fast? And that's exactly the point. You should be praying and fasting before the time comes to test your faith. You know, the Israelites were going to go through a lot when they left Israel. They were going to go through a lot of ups and downs in the wilderness. They needed to have their faith ready to go. They need to spend time to worship God and, and, you know, establish that faith through prayer, through fasting, with whatever. And that's what studying the word and praying does to us. It prepares us. It makes us ready. And that's what Jesus ended up telling the disciples. It's because you lack faith. If you had faith just the size of a mustard seed, you would have been able to do it. But you need to pray more that your faith would be strengthened. So God, we pray that our faith would be strengthened. 
Verse 10, so the slave drivers and the foremen went out and told the people, this is what Pharaoh says, I will not provide any more straw for you. Go and get it yourselves. Find it wherever you can, but you must produce just as many bricks as before. So the people scattered throughout the land of Egypt in search of stubble to use as straw. You know, it's fun. If you, if you go home and you like Google, uh, like look on YouTube, you can find like brick making videos of how they did it. They'd get like all the mud, they mix it with water, they throw in the straw and they mix it all into this big, you know, mix and then they pour it into these molds and then they pull it. It's fascinating. I can watch videos like that for hours. But that's what the straw was used for. The straw would hold the bricks together. So without the straw, man, it would be next to impossible to make these bricks. Super difficult anyways. The straw helps bind these bricks together. So this is an understandably upsetting situation. Verse 13, meanwhile, the Egyptian slave drivers continued to push hard. Meet your daily quota of bricks, just as you did when we provide you with straw. And they demanded. Then they whipped the Israelite foreman and they'd put that they had put in charge of the work crews. Why haven't you met your quotas either yesterday or today, they demanded. And so the children of Israel came to Moses and they all prayed about it and they trusted in God to provide. And No, that's not what happened, unfortunately. Instead, it says, verse 15, so the Israelite foreman went to Pharaoh and pleaded with him. Please don't treat your servants like this, they begged. We're given no straw, but the slave drivers still demand make the bricks. We're being beaten, but it isn't our fault. Your own people are to blame. But Pharaoh shouted, you are just lazy. It says he shouted, so I shouted. You're lazy. That's why you're saying let us go and offer sacrifices to the Lord. Now get back to work. No straw will be given to you, but you must still produce the full quota. So there's the old hymn that you might recognize that says, Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. And I think that's certainly true of this. Um, People were bearing this weight, but instead of going to God, they went to Pharaoh. They went to the guy who was putting the weight on them. They should have first gone to God. They should have first gone to Moses and be like, hey, what's going on? How can we get through this? But instead, they went to Pharaoh. They went to the tormentor. Don't raise your hand, but is there anyone guilty of doing that here? Of like going to your tormentor to try and fix your problem? When maybe first you should be going to God? Maybe your tormentor is your boss too, you know? Have you ever had a problem at work? Have you ever felt overloaded and stressed beyond all imagination and you don't know what to do? Have you gone before the Lord first? Have you gone to your fellow Christians, brothers and sisters? Have you gone to your pastor for prayer and for support? That should be your first step. But instead, these guys go to Pharaoh and they're upset when they don't get what they want. They could have been comforted greatly if they'd come to to Moses first to hear the will of the Lord. Now remember, Moses went to the, the Israelite leaders first and he did all those signs And they were like, yes, you're our guy. You're our leader. We are going to back you. You're our guy. We we recognize your authority, and we trust you, and we're going to follow you. But, verse 19, the Israelite foreman could see that they were in serious trouble when they were told you must not reduce the number of bricks you make each day. And they left Pharaoh's court, and they confronted Moses and Aaron, saying, uh, who was waiting outside for them. And the foreman said to him, may the Lord judge 
and punish you for making us stink before Pharaoh and his officials. You put a sword in their hands, an excuse to kill us. So the same guys who just a few moments ago were saying, you got this, Moses. We back, we're going to back you. We trust you. They went right back to Moses and saying, you, you did this to us. May the Lord judge you and punish you for making us stink. It's your fault. I don't know about you, but have you ever had that happen to you? Like, you, you know, like you're, you, you're trying to help, you know, a Christian brother or sister, you know, and you, you speak scriptures to them and want to guide them. And then they get all upset and they, they come back to you or something and they say, it's your fault I'm going through this. You know, you and your scriptures or whatever, you and your God, you're making my life worse. It's your fault I'm going through this. You know, pastors specifically get this all the time um, or more often than not. Um, people who want to throw scriptures back in our face. Um, I've, I've had that happen I, more than a few times. And, and it's almost hilarious, if not sad, to see someone come up to you and just argue with you and throw scriptures in my face, telling me how wrong I am. I, re- I remember the last biggest you know, example of this. This guy was just he had some sort of anger <laughs> for sure. Like he was just telling me, I mean, basically he was telling me I wasn't even saved, <laughs> you know, because he disagreed with my, you know, interp- interpretation on a couple of scriptures that we went back and forth with. He was so angry. You know, I, I, there are so many sermons about wolves and sheep's clothing and stuff. And the more and more I, I, I wonder about why there's so many sermons, I can understand. There are wolves and sheep's clothing. I, there's no doubt in my mind. There's probably a wolf or two here. And watch out for him. I, I would love to think that we're all wonderful bl- brothers and sisters in Christ, right? That wouldn't happen here at Calvary Chapel. We wouldn't have any wolves and sheep closing here. There's probably one or two here who are waiting for the perfect moment to strike at you and to lash out at you and make you doubt. And that's certainly what, what, uh, what these Israelites would want to do, lash out at Moses And I pray you'd be strengthened against that. I pray that when that attack comes, you'd recognize it for what it is and go to the Lord because that's what Moses ends up doing here. He's learning. He's understanding that he's going to go through hard times. He's feeling discouraged, but he goes to the Lord. Verse 22, then Moses went back to the Lord and protested. Why have you brought all this trouble on your own people, Lord? Why did you send me? Ever since I came to Pharaoh as your spokesman, he's been even more brutal to your people and you've done nothing to rescue them. It's okay to go to God and cry out to him. Sometimes I felt like, well, I can't even complain to God. This is my own problem. Or I can't even get angry at God because I I understand the situation. Or maybe I go to God and I am angry. Or maybe I don't want to go to God because I am angry. You know, you're just like, God, I, I knew you would do this. I knew it. I don't even want to talk to you right now, God. But it's okay. Go to the Lord. Tell him your frustrations. He already knows your frustrations. You might as well get it out and talk to him about it. God, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of angry right now. Really in the big picture, I have no right to be angry with you because you died for me. You died on the cross. You've, you've saved me from my sin. So I have no right to be angry with you. But for some reason I am because I'm going through pain and I'm hurting right now. And this stinks. 
But just get it out. Go to the Lord. Get that out of your system. Tell him what's going on so that he might start speaking words of comfort to you. The Lord told Moses, chapter 6, verse 1, Now you will see. Now you're going to see what I will do to Pharaoh. When he feels the force of my strong hand, he'll let the people go. In fact, he'll force them to leave his land. God said to Moses, I'm Yahweh, the Lord. I appear to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob as El Shaddai, God Almighty. But I didn't reveal my name Yahweh to them. And I reaffirmed my covenant with them. Under its, item, uh, under its terms, I promised to give them the land of Canaan, where they were living as foreigners. You can be sure that I have heard the groans of the people of Israel, who are now slaves to the Egyptians. And I am well aware of my covenant with them. Therefore, say to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will free you from your oppression, and I will rescue you from your slavery in Egypt. I will redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment. I will claim you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who has freed you from your oppression in Egypt. And I'll bring you into the land I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'll give it to you as your very own possessions. I am the Lord. So Moses, verse 9, told the people of Israel what the Lord had said but they refused to listen to anyone. They had become discouraged by the brutality of their slavery. Then the Lord said to Moses, go back to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and tell him to let the people of Israel leave his country. But Lord, Moses objected, my own people won't listen to me to anyone, to me anymore. How can I expect Pharaoh to listen? I'm such a clumsy speaker. Or in your translation, it might say uncircumcised lips. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them orders for the Israelites and for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. The Lord commanded Moses and Aaron to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt. And so we're going to wrap it up there. Um, Go ahead and ask Jimmy. You can come on up and uh, lead us with one more song of worship. But as we we start to close, you know, the rest of this this book, uh, this chapter basically kind of gives the ancestry of Aaron and Moses, um, which is important, you know, to establish the bloodline of, of, of Aaron, um, whose, you know, family becomes, you know, the, the hierarchy of priests uh, for the people. Um, and it's, it, the bloodlines are like the credentials of anyone back there. So it was important for uh, God to establish the credentials of Aaron and Moses uh, through the lineage of Levi. Levi. Why Levi? Because he had the right genes. <laughs> the right genes. Yeah, okay. Some people got it right away, slowly. Okay. I don't know. God chose the tribe of Levi to be the priests. But as we just read through this first group of verses, and I just read it all in one bunch. Verses 4 through 8, did you notice how many times God said, I will? He said seven times. Does anyone know what the, the, the number seven means in numerology? It's the number of completion or perfection. It's the number of completion. God's will in your life, he's going to complete it in your life. The, the seven I wills promised here, salvation, liberation, Redemption, adoption, revelation, direction, provision. 
He was going to provide all those things for the Israelites. He's going to provide all those things in your life if you trust him. And even when you don't trust him. See the one thing missing from this, from this group of verses? We see I will, I will, I will. The one thing we don't see is if you, if you, if you. God's promises are not dependent upon our works. And that's, that's the gospel right there. That's the nature of the gospel. That is the good news. That's what gospel means, good news. That God's promises, yeah, clap for that, absolutely. God's promises are not dependent upon our works. And oh, that is such good news because my works are not good enough. God established the old covenant with Abraham, that mark of circumcision. We don't have to have that mark of circumcision anymore. He's marked that new covenant with his blood. We live under this new covenant. And speaking of the new covenant in Jesus, that was marked by Jesus' blood. You know the, the words we kind of skipped over there? Whenever you see the, the Lord written in capital L-O-R-D, that's referencing Yahweh. There's a lot of different names for God in the Bible. And you can kind of think about it. This is probably a really poor example, but it, it kind of helps. You can kind of think of it as, you know, when they're talking about God, like we can just talk about the president. Okay, I'm not going to even use a recent president. Let's just talk about the first president. You know, you could say the president has exclaimed or proclaimed this, or the president says this. But if you want to use his name, everyone will know who the president is. But if you want to use his name, say President Washington, you know, that's the name. You know who it is, who you're talking about now when you say the name. So that's kind of what the power of Yahweh adds to almighty almighty god and and that name means i am moses told god or god told moses tell pharaoh i am sent you i'm not the god of the past i'm not just the god of the future i'm the god of right now forever all of the past all of eternity i'm the god i am when they questioned jesus who are you? Who do you think you are? Jesus said, I am. And some people wanted to kill him for that. They picked up stones to throw at him because he was proclaiming to be God. When the soldiers came to arrest Jesus, they came in and they were like, hey, we're looking for Jesus. Does anyone hear Jesus? He just said, I am. You know what happened? Soldiers fell down powerful name of Jesus, the powerful I am of God. God gives us these promises in our lives. And we can question what to do with them. We can, we can be like Moses and say, I, I, I can't speak very well. And God will say, I'm with you. But I'm not I, I don't know. I'm afraid, but I'm with you. But I, but I am. It doesn't matter what you're going through in life. 
so long as I am with you, says the Lord. Whatever your struggles are, you know, speaking of I am statements, Jesus said a few I am's other than just the, the name of Yahweh. He said, I'm the bread. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. I'm the light of this world. I am the good shepherd. I am the door. I am the vine. Jesus can be all these things in your life if you let him. He wants to be. He wants to fulfill those promises in your life. And it doesn't matter what you bring to the table because God brings it all, everything that you need. So why don't we all stand as we close in song. Let's just bow our heads in prayer for a moment. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your faithfulness. Specifically here through this chapter that we get to study through Moses, God, and, and how he learned to be a courageous leader. And maybe it took him a while. Maybe he stumbled. Maybe he made some compromises along the way. But you used him to do great and mighty things. And you want to use us to do great and mighty things in this world, God. I pray that the people here would be encouraged as they leave this place today, that they would go forth boldly into this world, God, being the light of the world, knowing that you are the light of the world in them. That you would boldly give them the words to say, that we wouldn't be fearful of not being able to speak eloquently, that we wouldn't be afraid that people wouldn't hear us, God. But to know that the world needs to hear your message. The world needs to hear your good news. Needs, the world needs to hear about your sacrifice on the cross. So God, help us to be faithful in taking that first step. Maybe not knowing what the rest of the steps are going to be. But to take that first step in obedience. And this morning, I, I want to give out the opportunity. I don't know if there's anyone here. I hope everyone here has already given their life to Christ. But maybe, just maybe there's someone here who is not yet. And maybe you need to do that for the first time and say, I want all these promises in my life. I want to have salvation. I want to have the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the Hebrews, Yahweh to come into my life and to save me from my sins. And if you need to make that decision in your life right now, maybe with everyone else's head bowed, maybe just raise up your, your hands and let me know so we can pray for you. Is there anyone here who needs to give their life to Christ for the first time this morning? I don't see any hands. So I hope that means we're all saved and that we all have a saving knowledge of Jesus this morning. And if we do, amen. That's awesome. Praise God. For the rest of us, all of us, hold on to those promises that God has for your life, knowing that he is working, that he is the great I am, and he is in your life. So God bless you.